Hello and welcome to the Tools in the Shed podcast. It's a podcast powered by Cars Guide. We're ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. Now, I'm Cars Guide senior journalist Richard Berry, and with me is Cars Guide journalist Tom White. Yo. And key contributor, Mr. Peter Anderson. I just contribute keys. <laughs> and very good keys you do contribute. Now, Look, unfortunately, James Cleary is in hospital. Uh, This is following a Halloween outfit malfunction. Uh, So, look, our thoughts are going out to him and his family right now. But, look, we're going to push on. Best best wishes to you, JC. I hope the pumpkin comes off and and all of that. But, look, this week... (laughs) I thought they just painted his head orange. It wasn't just paint. Um, (laughs) No, this week we are looking at lovable sales losers. We're talking about those cars we reckon are damn good but they're just not bought as much as they should be. And we're also going to be talking about what test vehicles are in our Cars Guide garage. And we'll check on the man who says he's going to create a city on Mars and make up the rules himself there in Muskwatch. So stay with us. But first of all, we're going to go to our feedback. It's one of the most popular sections of our Cars Guide podcast. We've got First of all, a long-time listener, and I think he's still in Australia as well, but he's actually from overseas originally. He's on holiday here. It's Dekulke or Dekulk, as he uh, as he pronounces it. I think it's actually Dekulke. You know, what would I know? Um, his response is, wow, mates, such a quality improvement. Good on you. Have you actually recorded and stitched your contributions together this time around? Um, <laughs> I, it's hard to tell. I, I think he might be being sarcastic. I don't. Mm. Do you reckon? Do you reckon there's a bit of that there? Um, I'm I'm detecting it because the next feedback comment was from Max, and it simply says, "Can you dudes seriously expense charge Cars Guide for some microphones?" <laughs> um, now, Max, uh, you'll be happy to know. There we have it. Uh, ah. We listen. We listen to what the people say. We've we've all been given uh, new mics by Jared. Jared's basically the office Siri. Um, you just ask him anything. <laughs> And he makes it happen. Um, you just go, hey, Jared, we need microphones. Um, and we got them. Um, so we listen. thank you, Max. Uh, we're all going to be mic'd up. Uh, we've predicted that your next question is, well, why, why don't you have them plugged in now? Um, that's because we're, we're motoring journalists and we don't know how to do anything else. Apart from Peter Anderson, who's actually a tech professional as well as being a motoring journalist. Um, we'll work out how to put those in. Soon, I'm talking to the box now. It doesn't seem to be doing anything, um, but we'll work out how that works. Um, we've got more comments from Peter Richardson. He says, now this is in relation to uh, a story which we covered last week. Byron Matidakis wrote the story and it was talking about the future of Mitsubishi. And uh, it was the main topic of conversation in last week's podcast. Now, Peter Richardson's written, there's a massive difference between a car brand from an unpopular country undertaking nuclear testing and a company connected to a state that actively copies designs, disregarding intellectual property, reverse engineering everything from fighter jets to cars. Thank you, Peter. Um, (laughs) We've got Hammer Rocks. Now, Hammer's been a long-time listener and definitely not a first-time caller. He's an always-time caller. We love Hammer. Hammer says, it's a shame what's happening to Mitsubishi. I'm a fan of the brand. I've owned two or several, two Pajeros and two Lancers. And now it's slowly being cannibalized by its new parents. I don't think they realize the true equity the brand has. 
Looking back at nostalgic Mitsubishi memories, who can forget the Black Starion? And that was one in Cannonball Run movies with Jackie Chan on board, along with the guy who played Jaws in the James Bond movies. My mm. personal memories with Mitsubishi's include my uncle having an 80s champagne gold-coloured star wagon, complete with the typical 80s decals and striping and 80s brown interior. I feel like this is like a really common thing, right? Like everyone yeah. knows someone or has owned at least one Mitsubishi, right? Like, oh, we had, our family had four. No, really? Six. six. Yeah. No. L300. Yes. Sigmas. Yes. Three mag, four magnus. Mm. Well, this, well, this is the thing because the love for Mitsubishi is strong. Um, mm. Midas Touchy. Now, thank you, Hammer, for that. And, and if you want to read Hammer's comment, it's huge. And he knows what he's talking about. Um, but we're going to move on to Midas Touchy. He says, I'm still waiting for Mitsubishi to return to Adelaide to make a new 380 that's 150 kilograms lighter with a six-speed manual and all-wheel drive. We can all dream. Um, yeah, a lot I'd, of like to, I'd like to see that happening <laughs> as well. Jethro X says Mitsubishi needs to bring back the Evo with five exclamation marks. Um, wow. You know, just, just one X will do. <laughs> yeah. just, just one X. I, you know, they could do an Evo ASX. Yeah. Mm. I keep mm. threatening that. And I think they take one look at the platform and go, mm, mm. no. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Jim Danik. Now, Jim, Jim has uh, commented several times and it's over the course of several days as well. So the first comment from Jim says, so Mitsubishi lovers can look forward to rear drum brakes on their 2020s new car, similar to the Nissan Duke. And they spelled Duke with a, with a D. Um, a couple of days later, he's then replied, I think, to himself saying, speaking of alliances with Nissan, um, enjoyed David Morley's story about the RB30 engine in the VL Commodore. I hear inline sixes are making a return. Good yeah, story by David. If you haven't read it, um, read, read Morley's review. There's also um, a lot of interesting stuff just quickly on that inline six topic about how um, you know manufacturers were moving to V6s in the you know mid 2000s for packaging and uh, safety issues, and then um, now it's funny you see it bounce right back to straight sixes because they need to package in all the hybrid systems next to an engine and all this also, sort of stuff. So absolutely and much modularization, yeah. yeah, yeah. And look, there's something very magical about it. It's actually not magic at all. It's all me mechanical about a, a straight six, which makes a perfectly balanced. Um, mm. You know, a really, really good engine. Especially um, in three-litre form. Oh, it's very nice. BMW. Oh, yes. um, Reco has commented saying, this is a big if. Now, and he's written a, a giant if. Now, I don't know mm. whether he means the if's big, but he says, this is a big if. But what if Mitsubishi had decided to build the 2005 Triton in South Australia instead of the 380? Would it have caused a domino effect? Would there still be manufacturing in Australia? Imagine Ranger, BT50 being built in Campbellfield, Hilux in Altona, Colorado in Elizabeth, maybe even F-150 Tundra Silverado. All right, time to snap back to reality, he That's says. That's a bit much. Yes. Oh. Yeah, no, I think it's, and I think that issue, um, like, is down to, like, shipping rates and stuff worldwide and, mm. um, where, you know, like, obviously labour cost helps as well. But, yeah, that's why they're all building Thailand now. Yeah. Yeah, well. Now, he's an ASX uh, lover. Um, his name mm. is Sukhoi, uh, Sukhoi Romantic. Um, from five days ago, and he says, journalists always rag on the ASX for being old and ordinary to drive and so on. <laughs> and he says, I rented one a few years ago, and it drove fine. It was comfy. The CVT was fine. It was practical. And my price went up later, and it was like only 24K, he says. Given they are still one of the best-looking SUVs around, 
basically, do you all need an SUV to do? All you need to do is this. Basically, it has all you need an SUV to do. They're cheap. I think Mitsubishi should be applauded for milking all the money it can out of it. Unless you're planning on testing multiple SUVs, and then there's something in brackets, you probably go on looks and price to go to Mitsubishi. Now, he's got a point. It is one of the most popular small SUVs in Australia. Yes, it is. It's a it's a good size. It's a it's a big small SUV. It doesn't look bad. Is that all it means? The, and it's a the, very the, well. The priced. new one doesn't look bad. I think it, it, mm. it hasn't looked great for a while. But I think the mm. current one Im- improved on that quite a lot. But I mean, he is right in a way, isn't he? Is like like what oh, we yeah. want and what consumers want. Absolutely. Like it's totally like being an you know obviously if people say this you know every motoring journalist is like an enthusiast if it was up to us every car in the world would be a green rural drive wagon with a six-speed manual you know yeah like <laughs> um so like the fact that this like mitsubishi just like they keep making this car but it is like all people need and it's not it's okay at everything it's just not great at any oh no it's not okay at driving it's terrible to drive <laughs> it's it, yeah. is a it's complete it. waste of time just put torsion beams back there and, and make some more money on it so you can afford <laughs> to redo the next one better because it rides like this and like why and the steering's too light and when in the manual the steering is leg yeah you get a dead leg from all the buzzing through the pedals yeah, yeah. One, the one thing the one thing that made it worthwhile was all-wheel drive and you can't get that now the yeah. thing is, I don't think it matters, Peter, um, because oh, we're, not. We're, we're too close to this, you know, with like <laughs> yeah. the way a car feels. When we describe driving, we talk about its, its ride is a bit mm. busy and uncomposed. I mean, really? Do, mm. do, like, let us know, people. Do you, does the average everyday person really care how uncomposed a ride is? Or is it really just a tool that they use? And it doesn't matter if it's mm. not particularly great. It's just well-priced and doesn't look bad. Well, look yeah, at the success look, of Hilux. Like it, yeah, it oh, it's boy, definitely not the that. best riding. It's definitely not the best riding uh, tub in that class. But, oh, no. you know, yeah, it sells so many go. of them. I mean, and, and look, the thing about the ASX is, I always say to people, you buy what you want. You want to get an ASX, get an ASX. Mm. Like I only warn people off cars that are death traps, and what car is a death trap anymore? So mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. The one I drive is I drive a 1951 Ford. It doesn't have any seat, be- seat belts or airbags. I love trap. it. It's that's death. a death trap. It's, but it's a it's a it's a consensual death death trap. Mm. I, I've agreed <laughs> to drive this car. Yeah. Yeah. Now um, we've got Robert Robert Ciroli or Ciroli, uh, depending on which part of Italy you're from. Uh, says it's a sad day. Mitsubishi alliance with Renault Nissan. Nissan, a once great manufacturer of reliable bulletproof cars that could rival Toyota in reliability. Unfortunately, since it merged with Renault, it has suffered numerous issues, e.g. the CVT and catastrophic failures, he says, uh, in various other places. Look, there's the, there's the warranty, um, which is good. Uh, but he says the Renault traffic there has been reported more cases of DSG fail and turbo diesel engine, you know, breaking down i won't use the exact words that he says um so it's safe to say the new mitsubishi express will suffer the same serious issues as the traffic i'm a fan of mitsubishi he says as i've had a lancer and a couple of magnus all have been fantastic cars with zero issues so basically he's saying the alliance is going to bring in a whole lot of problems that the brand never had when it was building its own cars what do you guys reckon well i mean can 
stuff happens in all car companies mm. and you know you can point to any car company and say oh these things happen you know this italian supercar catches fire this so i think you know people like to cherry pick um reliability issues that aren't really as widespread as mm. you know, the reality might suggest and and in the end reliability issues are actually less to do with these days less to do with engineering and more to do with how the how the car maker responds to it so if you've mm. got a lemon and and the car maker goes right yeah we'll buy it back from give you another one great and that's you know because cars are enormously complex things and far more complex than they were even 10 years ago so i think um you know while they uh, this person makes good points it's it, it's a bit selective i think um yeah. but mitsubishi can't survive on its own that's why they went into they didn't go in mm-hmm. because it, because they could do it on their own they went in because they knew that to um to have platform sharing and engine sharing and all that is going to help them survive yeah 100 percent. and that and that's the reality of today's world like platform yep. sharing is a necessity now like to have the scale to have the safety systems the transmissions the underpinnings the uh, multimedia suites like even things like that to have all like develop to develop that on your own you need to be a giant you need to be volkswagen yeah. but the, for the companies yeah. that don't have that they need to be locked into an alliance and i think look yeah. you know like mitsubishi um yeah uh, the tough one with them is what do they have in the pipeline you know mm-hmm. even in mm-hmm. the alliance is there something you can point out that you go okay that's going to be a cool mitsubishi right like yeah, the cool mitsubishi hasn't been a thing for a while has it <laughs> Not for a long time. Sadly. Yeah. Platform sharing, as you said, um, Tom, it's it it is a very common thing. And it, but it's not just, you know, um, you know, the smaller manufacturers or those struggling manufacturers that need to do it. We've got Toyota sharing platforms with with BMW, you've got the Z4 Supra, um, you know, you've got Toyota and, and, and Subaru sharing platforms as well. Um, so it's it makes sense. Um but um, yeah, look, it, it's worrying days, I guess, for Mitsubishi moving away from what it used to be. Look, Jim Danik is not worried, though. He's replied again, and he says this time, moving away from Mitsubishi, I love the Venetian blinds on Byron's Morris 11, 1100. Maybe you could show, maybe you could do a show on car accessories you can no longer get. Here's my... Con- oh. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's, he's replied again another few days later saying, at least the Mitsubishi brand is still around. Can't say that much, can't say that much about the much-loved Australian brand. Yeah. Yep. And then he's replied just a day ago saying, Scooby says hello, Lana. And now Lana is Byron's ah. Labrador, uh, yeah. who made an appearance, I think, um, in last week's yep. podcast. Uh, so Scooby says hello. I'm not sure if Scooby's a dog. I guess it would be. It could be Jim Danik's dog. But anyway, that <laughs> that's the feedback for this week. If you want us to read out your feedback next week, um, write in. Uh, leave the comments in the section of the of the YouTube comments, and we'll read them out. Um, We're not now, dog we, tender, though. No, not no. It's not dog hey, tender. It's not a meet and greet for dogs. No, it's not. <laughs> no, I mean we all love dogs. Anyway, hello, Scooby. Now, let us move on to our story of the week, the one that we're covering here. It's been written by Lana's owner, Byron Matthew Darkus. Again, uh, it's Venetian called... Brian Fancier. <laughs> That's right, Venetian <laughs> Brian Fancier. EA Falcon purveyor. Byron's written <laughs> Territory a... booster. <laughs> Byron's written a story on all the cars that we really like, which just aren't really bought. Now, we all know the Mustang GT is bought like hotcakes and the Subaru XV is extremely popular as well. He's written a story, which you can read at the Cars Guide website right now, that looks at all those cars which are considered to be sales losers. Um, 
He's named a couple here and alternatives to these best sellers. The first one he mentions is the Subaru XV, the two-liter all-wheel drive one. Now he says, "Look, you know, all you, you Peter and myself and Tom, we've, we've all driven the Subaru XV. It's a good. I think it's a pretty good thing. Yes, it's got a CVT. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go into that really. But he <laughs> says, he says the alternative would be a Ford Focus Active. Now, for those who don't know, this is basically a Ford Focus hatch." on stilts it's slightly raised Mm. um, to give it a little bit more ground clearance and give it a bit more of an suv feel now look full disclaimer i went to the ford focus launch a couple of years ago and it wasn't available to drive and i have not driven the ford focus active at all have either of you driven that car yes what's it like it's just a slightly higher focus which is yeah. to say it's a very good car mm. i think the focus is one of the most underrated cars on the road today in all specifications um but i particularly like the focus st line because i think it's well priced great engine great transmission da-da. and all of those things apply to the active it's just a bit taller mm. um it's still got really good steering i think it looks great although the one i drove was khaki green it didn't look great in green. <laughs> <laughs> well actually it was more olive drab um but uh it's a terrific car and it's got everything for the money. Right? Mm. Absolutely mm. everything. And, you know, the Sync 3 system's really good. Um, the eight-speed automatic's really good. The 1.5-litre three-cylinder is superb. Um, I think it's a really good car and I would have that over the XV unless I absolutely needed um, the uh, all-wheel drive. Your thoughts, Tom? I 100% agree here. One thing I like about Ford right now is they bring in cars and it's tough because, you know, the, these Ford Europe products are, are, are expensive. There's no, there's no two ways about it. But that car in particular, I think, is good because compared to the XV, it is exciting. Like it, that, that three-cylinder engine is really good. That transmission mm. is really good. The interior is different. Like, it, you know, not everyone's going to like it, but it's, it's different. It, but good. Like I like the quality mm. of everything in there and mm. it's fun to drive. And that's something that's quite rare in that kind of lifted hatch segment because there's a lot of like thrashy old two liters and stuff um, that are just kind of a, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It does everything, but it's, it's just there to drive. Whereas like a three cylinder turbo, how much fun is that? Yeah. And it sounds good. It's just a good car. What, what about what about its off-road capability? Now, look, the, the XV isn't a, a Toyota Land Cruiser, it's, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, um, I've taken I've taken the XV, the all-wheel drive, um, places that I just don't think you'd be able to get mm. an, an active, um, no, Ford Focus active. Um, at the launch of that car, Subaru were quite ambitious and um, took us on this, you know, this four-wheel drive track. It was an old quarry. And um, I was, you know, pretty impressed by how well, how capable this car, which probably would spend most of its time just on, you know, the, the, in the suburbs, in driveways and, you know, leafy suburbs. But um, it's actually it's actually pretty, pretty handy on dirt and down hills. And, and then the ground clearance, I think, is about 215 millimetres. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100% sure the, the well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the, uh, yeah. the, the Ford Focus Active isn't going to be able to sort of match it there. But I do know that the engineers of the Ford Focus Active went to a lot of trouble of not just putting... Um, the, the active just just on on stilts like I said before they've actually uh, re-engineered the the steering knuckles so that it actually handled and drove um, and, ha- and and you know rode uh, like like a car um, and not just like a you know a, a, a you know a, a wobbly SUV um, 
Did you find that, Peter, when you were driving it, that it was quite... Yeah, no, though, it's very well um, uh, tied down. Uh, mm. Look, on the point of off-roading, the vast majority of OXV owners rarely do more than the, the dirt road into Nunes. Yeah. So I'm not really like that. <laughs> it, let's, let's be honest. Like, mm. that's, that's the reality, and that's okay. I'm not having a crack at people. And the Active could handle that, no problem. And yep. the Active has got the the off-road modes like the two-wheel drive Peugeots do yeah. that are black magic. No, yes. you're not going to be able to do some serious off-road, as serious off-roading as the XV. And look, I know mm. the XV is very capable, uh, but some, but you know, by the same token, an Audi Q5 is surprisingly capable off-road. Yeah. Um, but the Active, I think, is uh, for the 99% of time you spend in the city, you're going to, I think the Active is, a, is the better car by far. Yeah. Actually, it's mm. funny because a friend of mine was uh, recently asking, you know, what, what, what she should buy. And, mm. um, she was like looking at hatchbacks, but she said, look, I've got this problem. I'm really concerned about clearance because, um, you know, her family owns a farm out somewhere. And um, she said, oh, you know, I, I'm really worried that I'm just going to like be scraping bumpers and stuff. And I just thought, oh, Subaru XV. And yeah. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a hatch for all intents and purposes, but it's lifted up. It has that clearance. It has that all-wheel drive. It gets a bit muddy up on that, that unsealed farm surface. And if you at least get the um, L, it's got all the safety as well. That's yeah, true. And, uh, well, that's the thing. The active has got all the safe. The the, the the focus active has got all the safety, and that sticker price is nothing like what you'll pay. Just quite. Mm. No, twist, that's right. Twist arms, and you will get a very hefty discount. And I and I know this from people on Twitter who I've mm. suggested that car to go and look at, and they've gone and gone. I love it, and I bought it, and I didn't pay that much for it. Mm. Absolutely. Just just for people who want to know, the list price for the Ford Focus Active is thirty thousand four ninety, and that mm. particular grade of XV is twenty nine thousand two forty. But um, yep. yeah, as Peter said, go to your dealership around about now. If you were to go at the end of the month, you will <laughs> yeah. be absolutely guaranteed to and, and tell tell them you also there. drove an XV just before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell them yeah. tell them Peter sent you. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now the was it again, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> Peter Anderson Autos. Um, yeah, that's right. Now this is one I don't know. I agree with the second one that Byron's got here. The alternatives. Um, he's got a Ford Mustang GT Fastback for sixty-four thousand one hundred ninety dollars versus a Kia Stinger GT for sixty thousand nine ninety. Now I don't have the Stinger. You would you? Hundred percent. No. Yeah. yeah. Get out. I, I love the Mustang. I love it, but mm -hmm. um, me too. I'd have the Mustang in a heartbeat. I would have a Kia Sorento. Sorry, the Kia, but I wouldn't the Kia have. I I would have. I wouldn't have a Kia Stinger GT over a Mustang GT. No way. Yeah, I, would. I mean, I know it's probably built better than a Mustang, but I just love <laughs> three hundred thirty nine kilowatt, five fifty six newton meter, five liter V eight with a manual. Uh, you know, look, it, it's, it's funny because I do. I, I had a Mustang pretty recently, and it was a five five liter V eight. It was an yeah. auto, mm. um, yeah. and I love the romance of it. I love that mm. it was just completely unhinged, and traction was questionable at all mm. times. And um, the fact that it was just like you sit in it, and it it's so absurd. It's like the, it's just you, and there's all this car. Yeah. It's like, why? Um, but I, I love it for that. It's, you know, it is such a classically romantic car. But it then is. at the end of the day, what would I prefer to live with for the money? The Stinger. Any day, any day. And Peter, you feel the same way, don't you? Yeah, yeah. The Stinger's great. And, you know, um, there's a very, very hard marker in our house, and that's my wife. Yep. 
and she absolutely adores the stinger she's like if we had to buy another car you yeah know, if 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 you know everyone came to their senses and stopped letting me write about cars <laughs> had to buy a car um then the stinger would be it and and one of the reasons uh, she likes it so much is um she was uh, taught to drive on a steady diet of BMWs and we own mm. a steady diet of BMWs. Um, and she says it feels like her old 330DM Sport, which is one of the best cars we ever owned. Uh, and it just, it has that BMW on the road feel with that yep. glorious engine. It's a terrific it, engine. It's very, it does feel like solid and mm. planted when you drive yeah. it. And I've got to say it's, you know, the 272 kilowatt, 510 meter, 3.3 liter twin turbo V6. Mm. It's a good thing. And it's one of those Come things on. that you just can't imagine Kia did. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of so, <laughs> out of, it's so out of character for them. Um, and, but it, it is a really good thing. Personally, I'd go the Mustang, but I do love that Stinger as and, well. And I adore the Mustang. Yeah. The, day, if you pick the Mustang, nuts. you wouldn't be wrong. No. That's for sure. That's right. <laughs> we're, not, we're not sitting here saying like, no, oh, no, you have to have the Stinger. Like, it, I, I'm just saying if it was a car that I was going to live with, and for a family, yeah, it's just the sting is so good. Yeah. Look, look, to, when you bring the family aspect into it, um, and especially the crash test rating, which goes with the the Mustang as well, and the child protection in the back, yeah, seven year warranty on the Stinger, like that's absurd for a performance car. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now here's one which is going to be very close to Peter Anderson's heart. Um, <laughs> is it a Byron has said a good alternative to a Mercedes Benz GLC 200, which lists for $70,300 is a Peugeot 3008 GT line for almost half the price at 47,990. Yeah, yeah. What Peter now, what do you reckon? I love the 3008. Look, it's not perfect. The steering's too light. Um, and uh, there's a bit of lag in the both the transmission and the engine, but mm. um, it looks fantastic. It's such a pretty car. You really, the GLC, not a work of art. Let's face it, <laughs> not not ugly, just not a work of art. You look at that like that three thousand eight. Every time you look at it, you think I have bought something really cool. And yeah. the interior is top notch, and it's got better over the years as well. Um, so I remember the first three thousand eight I drove it was a bit ropey, but it's now so well put together, just some beautiful detailing and that really cool digital dash, which again, a bit on the slow side. I mean, but you only notice that in when it's switching between the, um, uh, the, the modes you can set up. And yes, the media system is properly ropey, but it's so nice. It's just a great car. And for the money you're saving over the Merc, uh, mm. and, and, you know, again, I think the 3008 and most Peugeots are criminally underrated. I just mm. think they're such good cars. They are overpriced in, in certain um, aspects. But, you know, the more I think about the 3008 GT line and the diesel GT, they're not badly priced at all for what you're getting. Mm. Tom? Mm. Inclined to agree. This is what French cars should be about, right? They should yeah. look different. They should look mm. cool. They should have weird interiors where things don't quite work. You know, that's <laughs> that's buying a French car. And I love that they're doing that again. And, you know, in terms of driving it, like Peugeot's are, are, are good to drive again. Like, and, and look at the um, the uh, 308. That car is so old now, but it's still so good to drive for the segment. So competitive. And, you know, if the 3008 even emulates a little bit of that behind the wheel compared to its competitors. It's enough. Absolutely. And, and we should, I can't believe we still don't have the, the plug-in hybrid version, which is actually a rocket. 
<laughs> it's really quick. Hey, look, all, all three people who would have bought one, I'm sure, are also missing out. <laughs> <laughs> Byron, now, looking at the rest of Byron's story, he's got another couple of alternatives. We can just flash through those now. Uh, he reckons a good alternative to a BMW 330i, which is $74,900, is a... Another not wrong. You can't go wrong with Yeah, exactly. It's a Jaguar XE P300 R-Dynamic Black. Now, I drove the XE at its launch, and this car (laughs) is excellent. Uh, That chassis is, and we tortured it, is Mm. really, really impressive. I went in with a whole lot of, you know, personal bias against the, (laughs) the brand, and I came out going, I'd have one of those. How um, good is it? It weighs nothing. It's and it brilliant goes. machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Peter, you've driven it. Um, yeah, recently. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think it's a terrific thing, and it looks great. Yeah. And with this, with this uh, recent facelift, it's going to fix the um, uh, look the the in control or whatever in touch or whatever it was called got good mm. by the end. But PV Pro mm. is heaps better, so mm. that's really good. And they've just lifted the interior a bit. But you know, um, and they've also, I think, one of the reasons the XE didn't sell. And it may not make any difference. Is you could choose from two hundred and forty thousand of them. <laughs> yes. Now there's mm. two. Uh, That's and right. P three hundred is brilliant. It's a great mm. engine. They admitted the, the the Jaguar PR team admitted at the launch of that car that there was too much choice. Yeah, um, it's too much. There was there, yeah. yeah, like as you said, the permutations of you know what you could get in terms of engine and grade and trim. It was just ridiculous, and and I think Range Rover needs to sort of simplify their range as well. It's out of out of control. Tom, you're a bit of a Jag fan, aren't you? <sighs> yeah, but you know what? <laughs> this isn't the car I'd pick. Yet. Really? Uh, and I, yeah. you know, when the XE came out, I was like, yes, this is the car they need. Like. It's in the right segment. I hope it's really good to drive. And then when the first one came out, it just sort of fell short in so many areas. And I know they've updated it. I know this one's new. I haven't driven this new one. Um, but still in this segment, you know, to me, this segment is a little bit about, look, so there's two cars I would consider instead of this one, right? Genesis oh. G70 is one of them. Mm. Because it's affordable. It's relatively for that segment. It looks great and it drives awesome as well. Like talking about the yep. Stinger, that's the same car. Even the two yep. liter is fun to drive. Even the two mm-hmm. liter turbo, right? But the one I really like in this segment, I saw one on the road the other day and I was like, oh. Volvo V60 T8 R design. Yes, very much I so. I haven't driven a Volvo in so long. I, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Uh, look, it, yeah. look, it Peter, looks incredible. So- it yeah, is, yeah, and yeah, the wagon version, yeah. brilliant as well. It stopped yeah. me on the road. I was like, oh, what a good looking car. Actually, I'm surprised that wasn't Byron's pick. But, you know, I, Abs- uh, you, you, you all know my BMW bias, so I'd probably end up buying <laughs> the Beamer. But yeah. I'd, have to, I'd have a good, hard, long look at the XE before I bought the Beamer. During Car of the Year discussions um, uh, last year, uh, that that. Volvo was was a point of contention. Um, it was such a good car, and we were really torn about it. It, it, it scored incredibly well. Um, I'm I'm surprised as well that um, that Byron hasn't um, included it. Um, yeah. But that's that's the end of the list that we've got to now. If you want to read the the full story by Byron, take take a look at it. It's great. It's at the Cars Guide website now. But what we're going to talk about now are the cars that are in our garage now. Tom, you've been driving. A Corolla sedan. Now, no, no, it's, think- a, it's a hatch. Oh, it's a hatch. It's, it's a, a hatch. hatch. Close, yeah. close enough. Yeah. It's a, close. But a completely different demographic. Yeah. Um, 
Now, now, let me just explain to, to our listeners and watchers and readers here. Um, we normally get cars on a week loan. Uh, and we've basically, it's like speed dating. You've got to get to know the car really, really quickly. Um, and you've got to write a review about it. But we also get long-term loans as well. Um, now, Tom has got the Corolla hatch and he's had this for, how long have you had it for now, Tom? I've had it for a month and a half. A month and a half. And how long's the loan for? The loan's for three months. So I've got it until about midway through December. Midway through December. So it really gives us a, a, a good buyer's perspective in terms of what you're going to, you know, you're going to experience as, as an owner. So Tom, what's the, what's the Corolla hatch been like to live with over the last month or so? Well, it's funny because going into this review, I was a little bit of a Corolla skeptic um, because I, you know, the last two cars were just so drab and boring oh, and, um, yeah. you know, uh, I, I knew this one was better because it's not as though I haven't driven this car. And like, I know the TNG underpinnings are really good and hybrid, yada, 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 whatever. And the one I've got yeah, yeah. is the top spec ZR hybrid hatch. And so it's got everything. It gives you like a real good sampler of everything that the Corolla range has to offer. And the funny thing about it is, Every time I hop in it, I'm like, ah, it just drives so nicely. It like does. it does, it's not fast. No. It's not, it's not the best steering in the segment. It's not like, there's not one thing about it where I go, that's amazing. It's just so well put together. Like as no. a, com- as a complete thing, it's just lovely. You know what it is? It's got a Lexus vibe. Mm, mm. I think it feels like a Lexus to drive. It feels like a Lexus to sit in. Uh, but then you look at the dash and go, oh no, definitely a Toyota. But yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's it's a terrific. It's a it's a Corolla that I'm happy to um, recommend to people. Yeah, and that was the thing because like we've been looking in that segment, and we had an i30 before, which was a great car, and we were looking at getting another i30. But now I'm shaken. Now I'm like, oh, oh I don't know. I don't know if I want the i30 compared to this now. Like this is such a, a nice to drive car, and the hybrid system is addictive. Like it makes fuel saving addictive. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. Yeah, uh, and, and I get four liters per hundred k's on it. Yeah, I'm gonna. We yeah, all know yeah, what yeah, a heavy yeah. right foot I've got. Yeah, yeah. So mine's doing four point eight, and I'm only sometimes from a hypermile. Like it gets addictive because they've got the little eco indicator, and when you press yeah, the accelerator, yeah. it goes up like this, and it's got three little bars, right? And one is eco, what, and then there's a middle section, and then there's like the power section. Power. Power. Oh, it's wow. PWR, right? Yeah. But the thing is, if you accelerate, that first section is reserved for just the electric motor. So if you can try, like what I and what I find myself doing all the time is like conditioning myself to just try and use the electric motor as much as possible. So I, I'm driving like a freaking grandma in this thing off the lights. Like, like the lights go green. I'm just like, yeah. And the people behind me are like, ah, moving, get moving. Yeah. <laughs> I love how into this you are, Tom. Like it's yeah. just a hybrid car. He's a hypermiler. You uh, are. We need Mal in here to talk to us about hypermiling. But yeah. well, well, no, as well because I've been driving a lot of um, hybrids lately. So I've had a lot of plugins. I've had a lot of, and I just, I just love the whole aspect of like these, these completely different um, like motors working together to do this thing, and like how they meld together and how they work together is fascinating. Mm. So yeah, it's really, it's a really cool car to drive. It's, it's a really, when you drive hybrids from other different brands and then you get into a Toyota hybrid, you suddenly realize how much of a master they are of the yeah, technology. Years of, of, of advantage mm, there. That's yeah. right. Well, when did Prius come out? 1997. And so they've had, they've had you know, 20 years exactly, Peter, mm. of, of perfecting this. And you've got manufacturers who are only just getting into it now. And mm. my goodness, the difference in the seamless transition between, you know, petrol mm. and, and the electric motor is in a Toyota hybrid, it is outstanding. Yeah. Um, and you, you drive a, an Ionic hybrid, yes. series hybrid, and it's... Yep. Oh, it's exactly what I was talking about without saying it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. It's very mm. good, but you can mm. hear 
yeah okay there's still some work to do on well that's 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 the thing that like makes me think like even just one generation change like you, you drive the last gen hybrid camry and it's like the level of refinement is just in another world to the new mm. TNGA stuff. Like, yeah, a, like, and it, people have been in hybrid taxis before, so they've yeah. experienced it. You know, it goes, whoop, uh, you know. And it, <laughs> that was a very good impersonation. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, was, I was in the car for a moment. I was in it too. Smell, I could uh, smell, smell the, the vinyl. Just drop and, me off at the lights, yeah. please, Tom. Just, uh, <laughs> I just get the FPOS machine and act really annoyed about it. Um, I can hear, I can hear but, a Melbourne cabbie asking me to show him how to get to the airport on the map. That's how good it is. But yeah, no, the new ones are just so smooth, and there are times when I don't even realise mm. that the engine's on in the in the mm. Corolla. It's it's great, and um, very good. It's, a, it's an accessible level of electrification for most people, and that's why they're so popular. Small yep. boot though, and not mm. a lot of rear legroom though in the hatch. The the, the doors the, don't open very far in the back. They no, don't. No. They just open about that much. You've got to yeah. sort of squeeze through. <laughs> yeah. the, the foot, like the space to kind of pass your foot through to get in, is actually really mm. tight. Um, yeah. But, and I think there's no armrest or cup holders back there. No, it's, I, I have to double check. It might be spec. Spec. Dependent. Bottle, like, bottle holders in, the, in got. the door. But it's, it's got little ones. Yeah, little bottle holders tight. in the door. Yeah. The sedan version though, more legroom, more boot yep. space. Um, so if you're, if that's what you're after, you still want the hybrid um, powertrain, um, but you want a little bit more boot space and legroom, go go the sedan. And it the sedan looks doesn't so look. Dorky. It doesn't. Yeah, it's pretty dorky. I yeah, like the interior, it. The interior, the interior no. Too. The seats it's are not are from business. behind. Have you seen the sedan from behind? I have seen the sedan. No, because, and you know what gets me here, right? There used to be lots of good mid-sized hatch-based sedans, right? They used to, and they used to, because the way I think of it is like, I don't know, maybe uh, it was... It was almost quite close to fifty percent of what that market would buy, but now it's not. It's it's a niche. So they, they they've yeah. taken a real downhill in the last couple of years. Yeah. Serato sedan, that's a good looking sedan. Yeah, yeah. In that segment, yeah. better oh, than, come on, de- definitely better, <laughs> definitely better than the hatch. That's for sure. Now, yeah. Peter, you've been in a hatch. It's like very know. tasty from the Volkswagen mm. family. Tell Volkswagen. us about that. Uh, Volkswagen Golf GTI TCR. Now, I know I know why Tom's nodding because he had it last week. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really good. Um, it's it's over 50 grand. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's a bit much for a sticker's job. Uh, but then I read the spec sheet and realized it's got the Golf R engine, stainless steel exhaust, uh, tweaked steering, uh, decent set of continental tires. Uh, we also get the full fat um, TCR here, whereas Europe doesn't get everything. Uh, there's some like there's a lot of there's a kind of there's a whole um, mechanical package bolt hole you can go down about we get a six speed and Europe gets a seven speed but my mm. goodness it's a good car it is so much fun and actually I don't think the fun is is as much about the Golf R engine which is 213 kilowatts which is a good 30 kilowatts up on the basic car it's just a really good chassis it's it's it the turn in is like it's amazing and it just feels t- terrific to drive and and it does everything and and i think um you know it just reinforces how good a job everyone's done to try and catch up to the golf and then volkswagen just drops a 213 kilowatt motor makes a few <laughs> and it's like <sighs> so we talked yeah. about hot hatches a little while ago and you made a joke about the the i30n uh plastics cutting you if you're not careful yes um <laughs> and that's that's so I, I enjoy driving the i30 more, but 
the Golf GTI TCR, which does cost a lot more money, but costs about the same as a spec'd up Renault Sport Megane. And I will keep calling it Renault Sport Megane until the day I die instead of Megane R.S. <laughs> dot. Yes. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, you just, the, the, the quality of the interior and the, and the build of the interior, even though it hasn't got everything, um, it's, it's such an impressive car. And, you know, it looks brilliant. You can take, I can take or leave the hexagon stuff down the side. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed that a lot. Very I, I like how you say, um, as the others catch up, it's almost like Volkswagen has looked over its shoulder and just like done a Usain Bolt and just gone. And well, just it's taken like, a while to do it, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's taken yeah. a while to do it, but mm. it's just kind of done a mic drop for the last of the 7.5s yes. and mm. gone, yep. hey, you know what's happening in the next model? The Club Sport has that engine, and that is gonna that's a, that's a standard model throughout the, in, in the GTI range. As the TC, mm. the TCR is not limited, but um, because of the, the because of the Golf Eight coming along, the Club Sport, it's gonna it's gonna it's it, and, I, and I'd have it I'd have the TCR over a Civic Type R as much as I love the Civic. Type oh R. gosh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Although Tom, you are a Type R, are you a Type R fanboy? Not no. particularly. Not particularly. No, no, he's 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 got far too mature a head on his shoulders for that ridiculous <laughs> win. <laughs> but you have driven the TCR, Tom, haven't you? Yeah, you uh, just last week or the it, week before. Yeah, and I had exactly the same reaction to, to Peter when I picked it up. I was like, ah, oh, stick it back. Mm. And then I looked at the spec sheet and I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, oh my um, word, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and I think the the cool thing about it, what a send off for the seven point five, like. Yeah. Oh, um, you know, we could have done a sticker pack, but instead we've done this, and it's it's a thing of it's a thing of wonder. Like it's yeah. and it the R engine and the way they've put it all together, it's it's less about it's less about being the best and more mm. about being exciting. Like mm. having yeah. having the extra power from the R, but they have like detuned the torque as well, and because it's still front wheel drive, and um, I got to say. I was expecting it to um, be a little Talks bit more like monster. Exactly. <laughs> because I had the Focus ST the week before that. And I was expecting a, a repeat of that. I was yeah. expecting just completely unhinged because the ST is completely unhinged. Yeah, unhinged like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was expecting a repeat of that, but the golf is like, oh, it's sublime. Like it's you, you throw it, you throw it into a corner and you feel that di- like limited slip diff do its magic and you feel the suspension lean in just the right amount. And then, you know, having six speeds instead of seven, it lets you really sort of ride those gears out. And I think that was yeah. kind of the point of it, you know, trying to extract that, a better oh, balance between the peak power and filter or something. So we oh, just okay. got lucky. We just got lucky. Yeah, we just got um, lucky. But, but, and again, when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, Richard, I said that the Golf needed to be more fun. And it's almost like Volkswagen had a time machine, saw me saying that and go, <laughs> Here's the Volkswagen Golf GTI that you want. And it is. It is exactly what I want. Yeah. And what I do like about this one too is like the i30N, and this is a bit niche, but um, if, you, if you're if you in mid-corner and you realise, okay, you know, I need a bit more, you can give it more, it'll rotate a bit, but then mm. grip again yeah. and you're like, that's what I want. I want that predictability yeah. when I'm pressing on uh, within reasonable limits, of course. Uh, and... Um, uh, and it does everything it's supposed to do, and then you turn it back down to comfort in your motorhome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to raise you your Golf GTI TCR and put down a Porsche 718 Spider <sighs> that has been in... <laughs> oh, we've lost, we've lost Mr. Anderson. There he is. Um, <laughs> that, that's been the car that's been in my garage. It lists for $201,890. It's, it's, this is the thing about 
our job. We we often drive cars we will never be able to afford, um, but it's a it's I'm I'm glad I can. Um, four liter naturally aspirated flat six making 309 kilowatts and 420 newton meters, and it had the manual six speed as well. It was a week I won't forget in a hurry. Um, <laughs> as you're back. I drove the wheels off it like any person should. Um, mm. Zero to 104.4 seconds, top speed of 301 kilometers an hour. Um, I can't confirm that. I, I didn't <laughs> no, get it up there. Um, it is loud. The ride is firm. Um, the roof doesn't fold backwards or forwards as easy as it probably could, but it is superb to drive. It's absolutely superb to drive. It feels like a spaceship. It is just, you throw it in. I took it to the usual place. I take all my sporty cars and unbelievable, unbelievable. Un- unbelievable um, handling. The Broadway and- Centre car park is very hard on cars. <laughs> and I think done a really good job there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. I mean, actually, it did go to the Broadway uh, car park <laughs> as well, um, and it's 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 quite short, so it's easy to park. It's hard mm. to park with the roof down, but if you put the roof down, it's and you can actually just look over it. Now. Mm. Um, Look, the roof, the roof has this folding mechanism, which is only part mechanical, and that's only the first part. So, and the last part, you pop a button, and the little little hook unlatches the the roof at the top of the windscreen, and then you've got to fold it back yourself. But because it's a spider, it's got these fancy wings which come down over oh, those yeah, sort yeah. of speedster buttresses at the back of it, and you've got to pop the those wings out, and you've got that's to, and it, yeah, and you've got to fold, and it's and it takes. I thought. I thought it was going to take 30 seconds. I feel myself doing it. It took about five minutes. It's a bit you know, Lotus so- Elise. There's some Lotus Elise vibes there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, look, I mean, this is the thing. If Porsche can do cabriolets, which have, you know, automatic folding roofs, I'm just wondering why for, you know, $201,000, they didn't get something which was mechanical or a little bit easier. Um, it's, it's a bit tricky. But I've got to say, look, that aside, um, brilliant. Look, after driving it, I was – it's you get out of the car and you're – exhausted and you're sore because yeah. it feels like you feel like you're being you know shaken like this the whole time and then someone <laughs> pours you out of it when you when you get out of it and then you know you're a it leaves the ice behind you're a human <laughs> organ cocktail you are and it's loud like you start the car and it scares you like you you know it has one of the it has a Porsche key with it so your thing goes in the thing you start the car and it goes like this and it scares you and everybody else in the neighborhood <laughs> Now, for those um, of you who are audio only, this needs an audio description. <laughs> Richard is shaking a bottle. Richard yeah, is throwing yeah, a bottle. That's, <laughs> Richard, this is the sound of Richard shaking the bottle. That's the sound Richard of my Richard is also organ. very animated. <laughs> and it's oh. like you drive on a highway and you know how sometimes I've got those concrete barriers between oh. you and the other cars and the sound reverberating off the thing back into the car is you're like... <laughs> and as well, so, so there's no sound damping or, or you know deadening mm. or insulation. And and this is how 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 you know how how easy it is to hear everything on the outside. I was at the traffic lights just sitting there, and the car was like the car was just idling, and I hear <laughs> right. And I look over and the guy beside me is whistling in his car. And even though my windows are up and the roof is on, I can hear him like he's sitting <laughs> beside me in the car. Um, so that was disconcerting. 
Um, and I went from that, so I took that back to Porsche and I jumped into my next test car and that was something at the other end of the scale. It was the Lexus 300H Luxury. And after the Spider, it was like... <laughs> It was like an isolation tank. It's like being it was, on a cloud inside oh, a nice thing. I normally think these, you know, high-range Camrys are, you know, <laughs> boring people. But I tell you what, um, I actually love that car. It's so comfortable. Cosseting. It's so quiet, especially like having just got out of the spider <laughs> into that. It was, like, it was like getting into a hot bath. I mean, the worst yes. thing about that ES300H is that it is so comfortable. There's a risk that you might fall asleep because mm. it's just like, I'm just going to get myself comfortable. It's just the, the handling is all right, but the ride, that that platform is brilliant. It's so quiet. Um, yeah. But I, I think after the 718 Lamborghini Huracan Perfect, <laughs> it was probably more comfortable. Yeah, right. it's, it's true. But I, I think the funny thing about the, the 718 um, is... I was actually talking to the vice president of uh, 911 and 718 um, mm. lines a couple of months were you? ago. Were you? Yeah. Just, just and, at, the, and, at, the, at the Australia Club? No, it was a, just it was a press do. conference. And he was saying, um, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, the, the 911, it's, it's getting really big and it's getting a bit heavy now. And, you know, what, what do people do, you know, if they, if they want, you know, that, that old school 911 feel, you know, Porsche, Porsche has a lot of these kind of old school fans. And he was saying, "I oh, just buy a just buy a seven eighteen GT four. It's like that that is effectively today's nine eleven from you know the eighties. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, is that an Ewok, Peter? It's Ralph from the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of Muppets, it's now Thank time you. for what a what a segue. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm for Muskwatch. <laughs> yes. Oh, Elon Musk, he's been in on the tweets again as usual. Tweeting is thumbs off. Um, <laughs> look, none of it is sensible, of course. No. Um, in the last few hours, he's been tweeting about Jack in the Box. Now, Jack in the Box is a, a chicken restaurant um, in the US. Yeah. I've eaten there. It's, it's no KFC, that's for sure. No, it um, really isn't. It really isn't. Um, but look, Elon, Elon thinks, thinks it's pretty good. Um, so what he's got here is he's got... Now, I, look, I, I was umming and erring about reading this out because I thought it was below us, but then I realised not, nothing's really below us. Mm. Um, and he said, Jack in the Box should do double duty as a sperm donor clinic. Name is... And he's got the perfect emoji, which is that one. Like, what? What? What's going on there? And then he's followed that up with, truth be told, I've eaten at JITB. I guess that's a abbreviation of Jack in Box. Many times over the years, even the teriyaki bowl. And then he's followed that up again with, might buy a Jack in the Box footstool. This is like a crap conversation you have with your friends, like when you're teenagers. <laughs> yes, you it know? is. Like. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, what's the difference between a zinger, a zinger burger and a, and, a, and a KFC McChicken? You know, like, it's yeah. just that kind of like, it's, it's just a <laughs> dumb crap argument that you wouldn't have unless you were really bored and had nothing else to talk about. Yeah, what the hell? Like, 
And as well, okay, so like just on that teenage boy sort of theme, he's, text, he's tweeted like not long after that, hey, Tesla should make up, and he's done a flame emoji, uh, uh, cat, cat girl robots. Um, and then he's put a poll underneath it going, and the, and the two options for the poll are absolutely or of course. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I ticked absolutely, and you get the results, and it says so far it's 82% for absolutely and 18% for of course. You know um, what gets me about this? Like, imagine being one of the guys who builds, like, the computer systems in, like, a Model a, a Model 3 or a Model Y, right? You're, you're working on, what you know, what is going to be the world's next maybe most interesting electric car, right? And, you know, your work is art. You know, it's, it's everything. Yeah. You've done your whole career for this. <laughs> and the boss of your company does this. It's sort what of, is- like, doesn't that spit on your legacy? I, I don't know. I don't- Look, he's not, he's not the just the boss of you know tesla he's the he's the founder of the boring company of open ai of of spacex he is you know he's 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 the world's third richest man um now look talking of spacex um it's been reported that um there's there's a clause which is in the starlink uh terms of service which says that starlink uh or, or spacex will not recognize Earth laws on Mars. Now, because we're journalists, we've actually, I actually went ahead and I actually dug up the terms of service from, from, um, uh, from Starlink. And so I'll read this to you. It says, for services provided to or in orbit around the Earth or the Moon, these terms, any disputes arising between us, I'm, I'm looking around the slide, including disputes regarding, oh, Tom, you, you're a lawyer, you'd know this, will be... In, uh, in accordance with the laws of the state of California. Now, this is the important bit. For services provided on Mars or in transit to Mars via Starship or other colonization spacecraft, the parties recognize Mars as a free planet and no Earth-based government has authority or sovereignty over Martian activities. Whoa. Peter. Audio description. Peter is audibly rolling his eyes. <laughs> Um, so you know what I think about Elon. I think he's a libertarian douchebag, and mm-hmm. this is exactly what these rich people want. They want a free for all on another planet. Mm. Um, uh, and this is no comment on Tesla or its cars or any of its employees. But he wants this uh, this planet uh, where there are where it's all, hey man, we're libertarians. You just do what you want, and we won't have any governments building roads or nothing. And guess what? That doesn't work. Because that's not how humans work. Um, And I was immediately put into mind of a story I read on the New Republic a little while ago, uh, newrepublic.com, a review of a book called A Libertarian Walks Into a Bear by Matthew Hongoltz Hetling. And it's basically hilarious. Yeah. Like a a joke. Yeah. Well, no. So what happened was in this town, it's like this it's all free, right? So Mm. there's no government intervention. So they stopped the mitigation for bears walking into town. And basically mauling people um so basically this this town went uh libertarian and then fell to pieces because mm. nobody took responsibility for potholes or um murders that kind of thing but i don't understand peter won't won't the free market sort out potholes <laughs> like because yeah, the, free, surely, the free market <laughs> surely a bigger meaner pothole will come and take over from the smaller potholes <laughs> that's right <laughs> 
It's it's all going to end in tears, I, I think. Um, but look, well, it'll, at least it'll give them a, a water source on Mars when they work out that the water there is contaminated with some dreadful alien virus. Mm. Although oh. libertarians just will just let it rip and get some herd, herd immunity, so everything will be fine. It's not like this is a high horse for me or anything. I should not <laughs> when when we get the first messages saying "help us, help us," where they're, they're, people are people are beginning to eat each other, do we help them on Mars no, because, or do we just because I? Sorry, you're breaking up. Can't hear you. You're breaking up. Libertarianism in that case will be a self-solving problem. <laughs> mm. Well, talking of problems, the world's in a, in a in a bit of a pickle at the moment with the global pandemic. But Tesla um, has released its uh, Securities and Exchange Commission filing, and in this filing, they've actually outlined its earn targets for the next year or so. And and Eric Schilling, who's who's a writer over at awesome Aussie-based uh, tech site Gizmodo has, ri- has written a recent story on this. Uh, and what he's pointed out is that Tesla is about to go pedal to the metal um, mm. while everybody else is sort of like, you know, holding back, just get weathering the storm. Tesla is going pedal to the metal um, because they have to. Basically, um, Eric says that the report says that the projected targets mean that Tesla needs to bring in 280 billion US dollars annually. And in order to be able to do this, it needs to get its Austin, Texas plant up and running. That's where the Tesla Semi will be produced, um, and which is supposedly coming out next year. Um, they've only just broken ground there too. So the, the factory hasn't even been built. Um, and that Semi, in order to be able to hit that mark, um, the, se- the te- Semi is going to have to be a huge success. And so is the Cybertruck, which is also supposed to be coming next year. And Model Y and Model 3 are going to have to sell better too. So... Yeah. Look, can you imagine buying a car that comes out of that plant, like like the semi, right? It, like, imagine if it does come out in twenty twenty one, right? Yeah. So the plant wasn't even finished at the beginning of the year, and you've bought yeah. a, a brand new car that's come out of it yeah. in Q four. Mm-hmm. How much test, testing do you reckon they've done on that production line? Well, not a lot. Well, we know that a lot. a lot of Tesla testing is a, a lot it's like done by consumers. Well, it's Silicon Valley. <laughs> it's the Silicon Valley model, isn't it? They, yeah, they yeah. roll that out in, in in beta mode, so that the consumer testing is done. They fi- they patch it up. They, they you know they fix bugs, and then the second generation comes out. Yeah. Oh, what? So, it's rusting. Oh, we got a software update for that. Yeah, yeah. The it's thing cool. is, it's it's you know it's a four hundred and eighty ton semi trailer truck going yeah. down a highway, you know, uh, <laughs> you kind of want it to be right from the outset. Not, you know, yeah. we'll fix that later. Um, talking of fixing later, let's talk about the share price for Tesla. It's currently at $407.90 US cents. Um, that's down from 422.64 this time last week. Now, if you go back a year ago, it was almost $500 a share. Mm. So, Look, Tom, Tom, and Peter, would you would you think of buying any Tesla shares at the moment? You know, we we know that JC James Cleary, our, our usual host, is actually thinking about buying one share um, for like four hundred bucks. Now, I don't know whether this is JC googling drunk at night, um, but look, I hey, we've all been there. Would you be Would you be interested in buying a share, Peter? Nah, Just American buy. tech stocks are Bitcoin. Yeah. You reckon yep. it's it's all about capital growth, and if you don't get it, you're screwed. Tom, do you already have shares in Tesla? Uh, can you can you imagine unironically? Pause. You pause. You pause. No. Can you imagine unironically buying shares in Tesla? Like, like it'd have <laughs> to be a plenty, meme, right? 
I know plenty of people who got in a hundred bucks and they've. Oh yeah. If you get in, it, like if you got in before, like it's like, okay, whatever, you know, like, and back then you might've made the argument, oh, you know, they're doing something different and and whatever, you know, but um, now it's like when the company is valued at, what is it? Like four times all of the American manufacturers combined or something. It's like, market cap is $390 billion. That's not what, that's not what they're worth. That's just not what, that's all speculation now. So no, I don't have any Tesla shares. And and, and as I always say, it's because it's on the NASDAQ and the douche bros uh, apply their thinking to this product rather than the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it might be might be a good time to buy anyway. Um, you know, I don't know nothing about shares, but the Washington Post. The, the we're we're going to need like a disclaimer on this. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. we are not. Richard, Richard, Peter, and Tom are not qualified to give our financial advice. <laughs> we really are. <laughs> we've got we've got the election. The U.S. elections coming up on November three. Um, it's Trump. Oh, really? Versus, Is that happening? It's been. It's, it's happening. You might. There's, there's, a, there's a guy called Donald Trump, and he's up against a guy called Joe Biden. Um, uh. the boss, boss of America challenge. Whoever wins gets uh. the lead. Uh, the Washington Post <laughs> is reporting that that November three election is causing a sudden drop in the stock market. Um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell nine percent um, since September two. Um, so there's a big sell-off going on, a bit of a fire isn't, sale. Isn't it like massive civil unrest either way? Yeah. <laughs> like all, yeah, all yeah, three ways. Biden, all three ways. Like. Like Trump wins civil unrest, Biden wins civil unrest, uh, or it's yeah, undecided yeah. for months, civil unrest. You know, like also if Biden wins, companies might have to pay some tax. Oh no, don't oh, no. the share price. <laughs> well, look, who knows what's going to happen in this election? I mean, look, if you're in the future now watching this or this, actually, of course you are, you're in the future. We're not doing this live. <laughs> look, we hope everything has worked out well that the riots and the burning has stopped, that the alien overlords are being kind to you. Um, yeah, the Tesla now, share price is normalised. That's right. <laughs> they've, they've probably relocated their um, their headquarters to Mars for a tax-free environment mm. by now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, with that, we have reached the finish line. I want to thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. And thank you, Mr. Anderson, Peter Anderson. My pleasure. And thank you to the only officially endorsed Christopher Walken impersonator, Mr. Pritchard, (laughs) for his precision, his patience, and his determination. Today, he's wearing a painted orange jack-o'-lantern pumpkin outfit for Halloween, but the heat in the studio is causing the paint to run, and it's, it's not a pretty sight. Anyway, look, please pass on the word about the podcast. Let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CG Podcast, or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Now, if you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube too. Now, look, before we go, James normally ends with a joke. So, look, being Halloween, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd tell a bit of a scary joke. So, if children are listening, just just be mindful that it could it's get a, a bit joke. scary here. It's a joke. Well, it's intended as a joke, whether it's funny or not. It, it's not. It might, well, you can decide. <laughs> here we go. What does a panda ghost eat? Well, bamboo. Like <laughs> now, Bob, get it? Bamboo, like boo, <sighs> scary. Yeah.